are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa! feel great. That coffee's extra bold this morning. <laughs> there you go. My name is Colin Austin, and I'm your host, and my host, guest co-host, is Michael Dees, the COE, the chief of everything of New Scooters for Less. What is up, man? Not much, man. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. Good. Yeah? Yeah. What's going on in your world? Uh, Let's see. What is going on in my world? So, let's see. This this podcast actually airs on Memorial Day, right? May 27th? Yep. So, uh, good time to reflect and, and remember those who have served and... Thank those who are serving, but many thanks to everybody that has served. My yeah. dad is a veteran, so he was in the Air Force. Grew up as an Air Force kid, so very, very uh, blessed yeah. to have such incredible people serving this country. So mad love yeah. to all of you. Absolutely, but it's getting warmer out, so that's good. People are riding scooters. That's, that's even better. <laughs> that's a good thing for yeah. us, right? Yeah, it's really. like ah, like people are actually riding scooters now, and now it's summertime, and now it's time to prepare for August. And oh yeah. Are you ready for that yet? I'm I'm close to being ready. Yeah, I'm close to being ready. Getting everything. It's it's hard because we have to prepare so many months in, in advance, advance. Absolutely. Like for that one month between paperwork, making sure inventory is coming, making sure your space is there, all that. I mean, it's it's a lot to to do ahead of time. But, yeah, but we're getting there. Cool, man. Let me introduce you to our amazing guests today. I'm super excited about this. You guys, we have Augie Lai, CEO, and Joshua Javahar. <laughs> I always want to say Hari. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Joshua Java Harry, studio director of Chromatic Games in the house. Hello. I like. To, I just call Josh Java. I go Java He's Hawk. Java. Java Hawk. That's, yeah. That's so. Man, you just. He's me Java to me, man. Java. <laughs> so you guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having. There's so much happening in y'all's world right now, and I'm yeah. super excited yeah. to dive into it. Not, so. not 8 a.m. <laughs> this is the most energy I've ever seen at 8 a.m. People are always like, Colin, how do you have so much energy at 8 a.m.? I'm like, I put on a good Synthetic show. energy. <laughs> Synthetic. It's like, like lots of bold coffee, man. Just caffeine get, energy. Just get it flowing. Yeah, you guys. Good caffeine. <laughs> I feel great. I, I just came back from the gym, so I'm like, oh, man. really? You're, you're stretching you already, out, doing your post-workout stretches. Oh, yeah. You did that yeah. already? Oh yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I, I, I like red. my mornings. My I can't. I can't. I can't have. I can't not have my mornings anymore. Yeah. So, are you a morning person? I am now. You are. Okay. <laughs> I'm like slowly becoming a morning. It's person. hard in the game industry. Most people, I probably oh, wake oh, up at like yeah. nine or ten. I feel like. Mm-hmm. You guys, yeah. We used to have like a partner that would come in at 1 p.m. every day, yeah. but then leave at 1 a.m., yeah. and that was every day, and he expected everyone to be on his same schedule. Well, no, schedule. it would shift, too. It would shift by, like, 10 <laughs> minutes every day, so eventually there'd be, like, a hard shift back yeah, to, yeah, like, 10 Yeah, yeah, there'd be a, a. reset. Yeah. <laughs> and it would drive, like, people nuts, because, like, they're like, am I supposed to be up at 2 a.m.? <laughs> and the answer was yes. <laughs> So would he be one of those guys that was like texting everybody else? I need, I need this of you yes, at 12.30 a.m. now. Yep. Build is <laughs> done. Happens. Start testing. But it's 3 a.m. I don't care. It's Christmas. <laughs> it's Christmas. <laughs> True story. Uh, that's funny. So are you a morning person or no? You, you say no, you're slowly becoming like, one. I'm but slowly like, becoming because of I don't even know what that means. Does that mean? I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like between 18 and 28, I would always wake up at noon. Yeah. That was my... My thing, I was, you know, I was in college for like ten years, so like, I had no reason to wake up early unless I had a class, and then I would probably like sleep in class. <laughs> That's the case, <laughs> and then, 
and then started working, and like, you know, my first year working with Amir Rubin, we had scrums at 9 a.m. <laughs> and I was like devastated. <laughs> I was coming like 30 minutes, 30 seconds late. Yeah. And whenever you came in 30 seconds late, you had to put a dollar in a pot. <laughs> I'm like, fine, you know, here's $10. I know I'm going to be late. Buy some time. Like, next <laughs> Buy some <weeks>. time. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Buy some time. Put it in the jar. Well, that's cool. I know you guys have seen a little bit of our format, but one thing we like to do is kind of dive back into our origin story a little bit. Like, what got you guys to Gainesville, you know, and then and then what led to the creation of what was Trendy Entertainment and is now Chromatic Games. So, like, why don't you guys uh, walk us through that story a little bit? Uh, Whoever wants to go first, <laughs> this is this is open discussion, baby. Because uh, there's there's a his, there's a whole history even Jeez. before before Trendy. It's more you know it's more like the history of of games game, and Gainesville. Games and Gainesville. Yeah, it really is. It's, That's awesome. Uh, I want to hear about it. It's the same group of people, really, for almost fifteen years, I, even more than yeah. that at this point. Uh, when I was in high school in uh, 99 actually and so I grew up in Gainesville so that's what brought me here uh, so I've just been here for a while but uh, you know I growing up here I was never super into gaming but I felt like I grew up in the the sort of like uh, what do you call it the like golden, the golden era of like social gaming right and N64 and just having friends come over and play games but I, I never really cared about game development as a I never thought about game development as a viable, you know, career progression uh, until, you know, the early 2000s where, uh, you know, you had these games coming out on PC and if you owned a PC, you could start modding games. So that became a thing. And so as a, as a creative person in, in high school, I started looking at that. And there's all these little communities that started to pop up online uh, for, for modding. And, you know, you'd, you'd talk to people all over the world. Um, and one day, I remember seeing a post on Masassi.net, which was a modding forum for Jedi Knight to Dark Forces 2, something like that. It's an old first-person shooter in the late 90s, where people who were making like levels and creating new content for this game that wasn't supported anymore. And there was this person looking for help. His name was Jeremy. And... Uh, uh, I didn't really read the message, but I noticed his email was at ufl.edu. So I'm sitting here and I've been kind of in my own bubble working with people from Denmark and Canada and like people from all over the you know the world. And uh, I see an email from UF and I'm like, oh, shit, I need to, I need to. So I like internet and I sleuth, I figure it out, you know, this guy's name. I think I found his like phone number in the UF directory and we just talked for a couple hours and became friends. Uh, and so that was probably around the time when games as a profession, uh, as an indie maybe profession, was materializing. And the industry was very different back then. Uh, not like it is today. So it wasn't as accessible. It wasn't as easy. Uh, but throughout the, the course of several years, we made a couple of games. Uh, we had a couple of failures. Um, this is all while we were in school. This is like a, a, a good group of friends. You know, we, we all kind of met. You know, good core group of friends. We all met at UF. We all went through the digital, you know, arts and sciences program at UF. Um, one of the, I think, one of the first programs uh, for game development that I'm aware of um, in the southeast. And um, and obviously, I'm a big advocate for Gainesville. So 
Um, you know, one of the things that was important for me was to be in Gainesville and, and near my family. So I, I started looking at game development as a, as a viable career progression. And 2000 and probably eight, 2009, you met Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Separately, I think. Yeah. That's, a, that's a, another story. Story. So like, um, at the time in 2008, 2009, I was playing in a piano quartet trio. And my pianist was Ashin Tafigian, hmm. Ashin Cohen now. Um, and Ashin was y'all. He was part of our group. He was our y'all's composer, in-house composer, sound guy. Mm-hmm. And we started playing gigs, playing concerts. And around 2009, Jeremy, Ashin, and a bunch of you were laid off from your studio. And you know, I know Jeremy's thinking about moving to, to like Michigan, some studio there, and a bunch of people were thinking California. But I was like, "Hey guys, let's start our own studio. <laughs> 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 All the talent's like, right here. It's right here. Everyone." Was this like over drinks or something, or you're like literally just? <laughs> I, I wasn't. At it, 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 it was literally. It was at. It, it was me and I Jeremy. I had already left. It was at one hundred and one. <laughs> me and Jeremy were at a, at like one hundred and one at a bar. Talking, scratching on napkins. Scratching on napkins. <laughs> you know, I, I, this is how it always begins. You know, I had had s- some marginal success with another startup called Tone Right, and I was like, "Hey guys, I can, I bet I can raise some capital because games are hot," you know. So and it was right around the time too when you had, so iPhone had just come out, right? Oh eight, oh nine, something like yeah. that. Yeah. App Store for the iPhone had just come out. There was a there's this shift towards indie, right? Where yeah. developers didn't need a publisher anymore. Yeah, Steam started getting attention. Right. Um, so it was like this emergence of what what's called digital download, like the ability to just download a game, either on your phone or on your PC, and play it and skip three middlemen. You don't have to go to Walmart anymore. You don't have to go to GameStop. You can just immediately go to a website and download a game. That was sort of Whoa! In 2009, 2010, yeah. that was like yeah. But do you guys just thing. automatically have the mind of like, all right, we we can figure this out. We can do this. <laughs> I mean, how do you get to that point? Because sometimes I feel like yeah, it's, it's I, tough. Okay, you know, okay, it's like okay. you start, it wasn't, it like I feel linear, you, you go to sure. Google. It's, hey, Google, how do we like make these downloadable <laughs> games for the iOS? <laughs> well, I, well, like, I feel like there's just not a lot of information there at 2009. You know, it started like 2009, 2010. That's when it sort of started. And um, it's it's a new path. It was, no, no one's really been was doing that back then. Everyone had to go through a publisher. Everyone had to go through, you know, Walmart. Everyone had to go through three different layers. These are all cut. These are all twenty, thirty percent cuts. Yeah, from the and, top. Basically. And by the end, the studio would probably get like fifteen or twenty percent. Actually, and it was very common for a, a game studio as a as an indie studio to work with a publisher, not retain the rights to the IP that they've they created. They lose the rights. Dang, that usually happens. And basically, you just don't know what to do after your project is over. And that's what happened to us actually twice before we started yeah. Trendy. We we worked on a couple games. We didn't we didn't retain the rights. We sold our souls to the to the publishers. And so we made it a, a goal when we started Trendy. We're going to own the IP. We're not going to give away creative control. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. <laughs> yeah, on. no, that, that, yeah. Is, that's that was that was a big that's part of, of the plan from its genesis was yeah. to, to maintain creative control and to try to stay as indie and true to ourselves as possible. Cool. Yeah. Then what? <laughs> oh, yeah. So... Um, 
So you like piece all these people together and yeah, we said, hey, let's start together. a company. Um, we had a good core here. In we had, yeah, we had a fantastic like initial core. And then I, I think the the next thing was was like, all right. I remember me and Jeremy sat down and we were like, all right, here's what we want to do. We need to get from A to B. What will it to guess from A to B? Oh shit, we need to raise a lot of money because <laughs> like, to make any kind of game takes a lot of people and it's going to cost money. So like, all right, how much do we initially need to raise? It was like, Software we looked at the numbers. Very expensive. Very expensive. And it's like, oh, we need a hundred grand just to begin. I'm like, uh, okay. So immediately, oh man, <laughs> this story <laughs> well, like calling good. people? What are you doing? So, <laughs> no, no. You, directly calling people like, oh, I need money. That not, never really works. So. You have to you have to be sort of psychological about it. So what I did, and um, was I called every CEO in town, and didn't say I need money. I said, "Can I borrow your conference room? I have a big pitch coming up." <laughs> All right. Yes. Uh, I'm just learning about this. Yes. <laughs> this is great. This is what I love, by the way. It's like yes. you like start diving no, if, deep if into this like, stuff. If you immediately go up to a girl like, "Hey, what?" I, you're pretty. Can I date you? The other part say no, especially me. <laughs> but if you go say, hey, who's your friend over there? <laughs> it's the same thing okay. with investors. Like, hey, can I borrow your conference room because I'm pitching to these other investors? Yeah, what, what are you doing? That's when I do that. That's when the questions are like, oh, so oh, like, like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not interested in you actually. I just want your conference room, <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. Like, I, <laughs> that's I, the best part right there. And it worked. Yeah, like, um, so one of our our like pitches. Um, actually, I think you were. Yeah, uh, no yeah. Problem. Oh, everyone's Gosh, there. Um, so I called Ken McGurr and I was like, hey Ken, can I borrow your conference room? I have his, I'm pitching to like uh, this, a publisher. Um, he was like, yeah, sure. What are you pitching? Oh, you know, some, pitching his video game. And Ken was like, you can use my conference room, but can I sit in the back? Alexa's <laughs> freaking out back. Wait, can you unplug it, please? It's done that a few times this morning. Um, so yeah, yeah, you can sit in the back. <laughs> I hope Ken doesn't get mad. <laughs> I don't think he knows the story. I think you guys are okay. He was, he was, he was <laughs> you guys are okay. Yeah. He, he, he did fine. <laughs> Ken did fine in that deal. Um, so he said he was sitting in the back, and we, we should just play the game for like two hours straight. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> just playing the game I mean, for two hours straight. So for context, though, you know, a lot of us were, a lot of us weren't making any money, right? Yeah. Typical like startup fashion uh, yes I moved I moved back in with with my parents uh, just to save a little bit of money working on some sweat equity you know and, and that was sort of the situation for a lot of for a lot of the local people and we were working with a lot of people also internationally because that was the way for us to get really talented people to Gainesville because it's really tough to I mean as we've found out over the last 15 years it's really tough to recruit like high-level game you know engineers and artists that's games so from spain france um argentina i think we had yes. um some people in egypt helping egypt, us yep. um so it was a really interesting experience it was a good experience to learn how to work with people remotely and then there was also this interesting internal culture that we, we were trying to manage and what happened was 
because we all we all knew that the potential for this game was great. We were all playing this game. We knew that there was something special about it. We all became sort of this close, tight knit family that bonded over this like shared experience. Even though we weren't really making money, and we were kind of like a lot of us were learning, you know, kind of on the job. Um, it was probably. I mean, I, I still look at back on it nostalgically as probably the best professional game development experience you know my life so so you guys had pieced together like a core group here Mm -hmm. and then you started borrowing conference rooms (laughs) and like i mean what had you already formulated the company before you started going out trying to find this hundred thousand yeah okay so you knew you like you're like we're definitely doing this we're doing this like when you played this game and you had this experience, it was a, it was a, it was an experience that nobody's really ever had, and it's been copied many times over since. So it was a completely new game, a completely new genre that really defined something new and interesting. So we knew we knew from the beginning that it was going to be something that something that was that changed that changed the way that people look at this genre of game. Yeah, it's so. Dungeon Defenders <clears throat> is a cross between RPG, tower defense in action and no one's done that no one's crossed a tower defense in action in rpg game and it's it's funny it's like to us it made complete sense like yes this game will be hot no one's ever merged these these different um genres together what's funny is like you know pitching the game pitching the game to like even other industry people they're like there are personalities out there like oh no one's ever done that. That's too much of a risk. Why are you doing that? <laughs> and to me, I'm, like, I'm thinking, like, no, that's why, that's why. I want to do it. It's because no one else has ever done this. Um, so, I mean, so you guys just look, I, I mean, you were really seizing the opportunity that you were seeing in this new download ability on the iPhone. And, I yeah, mean, it was yeah, yeah. So, like, you recognize that, and then the game, okay. the game, and the idea yeah. came here's, here's after. The story. Okay, yeah, yeah like, that, like I'm trying okay, to, okay, I'm just okay. trying to like put these okay. pieces together. Oh man, pump <laughs> <laughs> like, the brakes, Colin. Oh. Here we go. Oh, that's a that's that's a good you story. Know, it's too. funny, Augie, because we, I don't think we've gone through like the Genesis story linearly. So, like, I don't think we're like remembering all of the like details in order. I'm like, so many details. So we have conference rooms over here. Yeah, okay, okay. So I'm trying to like, okay, okay. So, conference thing worked. Um, Ken McGurn invested in our company. The guys going, we, we were on smooth track. It's never smooth. We were on a track <laughs> for a launch in 2010, around September-ish, August, September-ish. And then around June, um, something very interesting happened. Um, so we were slated to be on Xbox, Xbox and PC. And our main goal is to be on Xbox, um, on Xbox's um, digital store for the 360. And Xbox is, you know, this are old school. You had to go through a publisher. There was no other way in. You could not get your foot in the door unless you went through a publisher. It's like, fine, we went through this publisher called CSV, CVS, something like that, not the drugstore. <laughs> CSV Publishing, fine. We signed with them, and we're slated to be on, on Xbox. And then June, I remember, I remember waking up, looking on the front page of um, Kotaku, CSV files for bankruptcy, <laughs> and I'm like, 
fuck. <laughs> <laughs> our game is supposed to be under this publisher, and and oh, our no. game's going to be our game's going to be locked up in bankruptcy court. Oh man, can't self-publish. Not yet. Not not, not on time. Xbox. And X, we we projected Xbox to make the most money. Um, what made you pick Xbox that, at that time? Was there was there a, a reason to go yeah, Xbox? Xbox 360 was like three times bigger than PlayStation, and it, it just dwarfed even the PC at the time. And PC but, gaming was different too. Then. Yeah, it was, like it was, for the type of game that we we're creating. Remember, I talked about growing up and sort of that like social renaissance of like social gaming and, yeah. and couch co-op and sitting with your friends and you know that that was the kind of game that we're making a four player split screen experience where you sit down you don't do that on PC mm. you do that on console so when you develop a game like that you develop first on on Xbox or PlayStation or whatever and then you and then you move into PC at that time yeah at that time um, so yeah like crap <laughs> Immediately called lawyers up, and you know, they were like, "They, the, they were like, yeah, your game will be locked up in bankruptcy court for years." Oh <laughs> so, gosh. like, literally, that game was locked up in litigation for like six months. It took a lot of negotiating to get. It took six months to get the game out of um, litigation. But I was looking at our. Or you know, balance sheet. Like, hey, we're gonna be out of money in two months. <laughs> yeah. So less than less than two months. But what was interesting in 2010 around that time was the iPhone and Android phones started getting pretty powerful. And our our engineers are ridiculous, just like ridiculous, and like. And they had just flipped the switch on the App Store and games. Yeah. Remember that wasn't a thing. When the iPhone and the iPad launched, that came out. So that was like in 2010 yeah. or what? Yes, that was. Like, I think that was yeah, like a couple a year, year and a half yeah, later or something. Yeah, 2010. Like that. Um, Android st- Android Store and the iOS Store. And then Augie's like, oh fuck, <laughs> like let's go. And like, you know, <laughs> like, what? Well, like what? Or maybe I'm just I'm so, yeah, yeah. picture like, y'all's okay. expressions and, on a daily okay. basis in this place now. Like, <laughs> so like our engineers were like. Um, we, we were doing some port work for NVIDIA, some contracting port work for NVIDIA. They, they contracted us to port the Unreal 3 engine for Android, um, which was a, a world's first. And so we're- I mean, are, why, is this, are you just trying to like fill holes and get capital like to keep things yeah, afloat well, while exact, this litigation's well, going on or what? All, yes, yes, and yes, Okay. and yes. And um, so our engineer's like, you know, we can port this game for mobile. And keep the company alive if we launch it on iOS because no, there weren't any like 3D games on iOS. This was Android. before the like crazy game market saturation. Yeah. Um, Who is this? A, a team member? A team member was, was said this? A group of engineers. Oh, so yeah, it was like, like we it, was, do this. it was Jeremy, it was Dave Sleeper, it, it was a group of engineers. <laughs> okay. Thomas Williamson, mm-hmm. um, brilliant. All these guys are super, super genius programmers. They're like, yeah, we can do that. So I'm like, all right, let's do that. So here's here's what's interesting. Of course, my investors are all like, what have you been doing? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Isn't the game supposed to be out in August? So I turned a negative to a positive. I went to them and it was like, guys, I've got some great news. I could use bad news. Like bad news is like, CFC went, you know, they're going bankrupt and 
We're, we're in litigation to get our game back. Good news. Is, <laughs> <laughs> I always Spin. good news. Is, oh gosh, there's a huge opportunity to take advantage of this new technology called smartphones. iOS and Android have come to the point where we can put our game on it and all of a sudden have an audience of millions of people. And they were like, yes, how much money do you need? I need this much money now. <laughs> and it worked. I raised, I raised another like 150, 200 doing that. And we launched on iOS and Android December 2010. I think it was on, I think it was supposed to be on Christmas Day. No, we, we had two launches. We, the iOS launch was um, December 16th, and the Android launch was Christmas Eve. Look, all I remember is that we had a <laughs> it launch was a blur. party. We, we, we didn't sleep for two months. Yeah, I'm sure. Everyone was in crunch. Yeah, it was fun, honestly. I like that. Yeah, I, I like that, too. It's funny, like, we were nostalgic about crunch. Yeah. But, no, like, nobody else is. No one else is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people are like, oh, my God. No, but, like, we're crazy nostalgic about crunch. Maybe that's because I didn't have, you know, a girlfriend and all this stuff. I had, like, a cat. I brought her to the office. Yeah, you <laughs> cat at the office. Like, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't leave her at home by herself for a week. Uh, we were, so we had a launch. We had, like, a little launch party at, what was it called? Um, the wine. Yeah, Alcove. Alcove. Um, the place downtown that's not around anymore I think it's a anyway uh, so you know we're all there you know all the guys are there we're all excited hey we, we launched and what happens we get a call from Jeremy come back to the office we have a we have a bug so everybody oh, no. at the launch party goes back to the <laughs> office and starts working again and that's what I remember. Do you that, like do you keep your cool during like you guys you have do to you keep, keep cool. yeah, yeah you, you have to keep your cool I mean, we just know that I'd be freaking the fuck. In fact, we have we have to keep our cool because if we don't keep our cool, like other people will see that and they'll spread toxicity. Yeah, and you don't want that. So, um, so get back in there on what Christmas Eve? Yeah, whatever. Whatever. It was Christmas in December. It was Christmas Eve. It was was twenty fourth. Yeah, and we all piled back to the office. We were there till like eight a.m. I don't think anybody complained. No, no one complained. I don't think anybody complained. I mean, I, I think we look back at it as a funny story, you know. But those are the kinds of memories that I that I think of when I think of trendy. And there's a whole not, there's a whole another like you know five or six years after that that are just whew, just a blur to me. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. So the game comes out. And game comes out. You it, guys fix the bug, it, it, and it, it does it. at number six on iOS. It peaked at number one for I mean, a week on Android. Is it just is it just because it's one of the few games that's on there, so people see exactly. it exactly? And, and that there like because you're not like marketing it, right? Well, you're not was, doing anything to a, like really were, promote it. There were a couple of other marketing beats too. So we were the second. Do you know? Okay, so Unreal is a is a game engine. Uh, it's probably the most popular game engine in the world. We were the second, I think, Unreal game on iOS behind Infinity Blade, which is, was a very popular game by Epic, the makers of Unreal. We were the first Unreal game on Android, I think. So those were two big marketing beats for us that I think got us a lot of publicity and showed what games could look like on mobile, right? The potential for, for games on mobile. Games are actually becoming viable and not solitaire and, you know, um, you know, whatever, yeah. poker, right? But like, <laughs> right. But like actual 3D experience. Yeah, it's, it was like all the other games were like, you know, card games, whatever, you know. 10 megabyte games. Right. Our game was 800 megabytes. It was nearly a gig big. It was so big that on Android, it would not fit in the store. I remember playing the game. 
and the phone would uh, heat up and I swear if you let it go it would like oh yeah it would like, get so hot you can hardly <laughs> <laughs> no way we had to host our, our files on separate servers because the game was just too big so we'd have the initial install um, on the Google store and then it would download stuff from our servers <laughs> and so like so the game oh, I it, forgot about that yeah no it, it was and Android was really weird because like there were like a bunch of companies making Android phones using all sorts of chips and they all used different like texture compression methods yep. <laughs> so we had to have like four different kinds of assets just for the Android version. It was, that was a nightmare. That was a nightmare. It was, it was an absolute nightmare. It was a nightmare. technical challenge. And then, and then had to deal with everyone stealing our game yeah. but loading our servers. <laughs> so I mean what you guys did what was the play to like bring money in? Like, was it you're just selling the game? Like, how much was the game being sold for? The game was six ninety nine retail game iOS, mm-hmm. Android. We, in a, we eventually patched it to to include some in app purchases, so we were experimenting. A yeah, we with that. experimenting with that. That did, did pretty well. Yeah, no, it floated the company on iOS, made about a million dollars on Android. Interesting, in Android on the store did not make as much money. I raised, I'm, we made about a million just from licensing. So I walked to Google and negotiated them. To, they bought a license. Google bought a license of Dungeon Defenders um, for like 200 grand. Same thing with Sony. They did the same. Same thing with Motorola. So we made about the same on iOS and Android. Only Android because of licensing deals. We would get so. pre-installed on like some of their gaming yeah. devices and things like that. So mm. It's interesting. So there were a couple of plays there. but Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So what happened next? <laughs> so oh, this was this was all in two thousand. So we're so so this game this game comes out yeah late 2010, 20, you know early twenty eleven on iOS and Android. Uh, the team, you know, the core development team shifts focus towards creating basic DLC uh, for the for the Dungeon Defenders game in anticipation of a release later that year on PC, Xbox, and. And uh, you know, later yeah. down the line, PlayStation. We also grew rapidly. Yeah. During this time, we, you know, initially it was like five guys. By the end of, by the end of 2010, we were near like 25. Yeah. And I mean, um, imagine being done. You're, we're basically done with the the core experience at that point. So, it's scaling up. It's starting to work on you know a, a second IP, a third IP. Thinking about what the future means, and then planning for the eventual release. That's so that's that year basically. So as soon as like game game comes out, you guys are instantly back into like what's next. Like before that, actually, yeah. yeah. There's a there's a, a few months typically before you submit, um, and everything gets approved, mm-hmm. and you you, t- you you schedule, you get your marketing beats, you schedule everything out. You know, ideally everything launches at the same time. I don't think we did that necessarily. Uh, I don't I don't recall. I think PlayStation came out a little bit later but uh, you know you don't really have control over over all of these variables uh, in game development it's a little easier now um, it's a lot easier now yeah it's a lot easier now I mean uh, back in the day just to get your hands on Unreal th- Engine Unreal That's 3 right. Engine was very difficult um, 25% off the top oh yeah the, the cuts oh, were really? wow because of the competition now it, we're, we're talking like 5% now yeah, right? like yeah the number, the, so it's night and day basically it makes it super accessible for anybody to get in and, and start making and creating content that's cool games. so you're just banking on this virality of a game for it to be even worth it for you to go into if so many people are taking these cuts <sighs> yes yeah I'm absolutely, absolutely. I yeah. mean um, you have to understand like video game is beyond like 
oh, here's the money. It's it's a profession of passion. Like it, you'll find the most passionate creative people in the game industry um, beyond anything I've seen. Yeah, that's one. That's one reason I'm really attracted to the industry. And it's it's the developers, but it's also it's also the community that you build because eventually yes. what happens is you you build up a community of advocates who love and hate you or hate you love, love, <laughs> love and hate you at the same time somehow oh oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah okay so we put out a patch on, on um, mobile you know an update and inadvertently delete everyone's character <laughs> character like we spent hundreds of hours building this is not a game Deleted. that you just casually play. I mean, you invest a yeah. lot of time like, into this game. I was getting death threats. No way. I was getting. I had. I actually had an Asian tour media tour lined up, and Phil, uh, our our marketing director at the time, says, "I'm canceling that because you're getting death threats." <laughs> oh my god. The Koreans are after you. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. So. Yeah. So and you weren't able to like fix it at that point. It was just gone. Oh, we or, I mean, are you able? Yeah, to okay, get that? Uh, deal we, we weren't able to revive their dead characters. <laughs> so what we had to do was we create pets in the likeness of the so character funny. they're lost with little angels, wings on them. They go float <laughs> around you, and we individually gave thousands of these out to people that lost their characters. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They're like, sorry. It took so much time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. My bad. <laughs> my bad. Like our marketing team Oops. was it's like, we spent right? like two weeks, yeah. like 10 hour days, like individually giving out these pets. Oh this, my this gosh. This is the kind of hustle that we talk about. Like Seriously. Game, game development is, a, is an, it's an industry where it's like the community either, you know, either floats you or they turn against you and good luck you know what I mean so fortunately for us I think we built a large network of advocates who really supported us who really loved the game it was a Saturday morning cartoon like charming aesthetic game that was really built like as as an experience for you know younger you know, people. I think our demographic ended up being eighteen to thirty-six, which is like the most generic, like yeah. you know, demographic. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, it's. It, I don't know. I, I still look back and, and think that that was probably my my most uh, nostalgic experience as a developer. So the the success of the game ended up bringing you guys yeah. more attention from yeah. investors and that kind of thing because right wasn't there like an 18 million dollar yeah so, so basically we we launched on pc october 2010 and it blew the numbers out of the water about a year later yeah we were like, done with the game we, yeah we're, we're just done holding game. on to it we 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 negotiate our our game out of bankruptcy the bankrupt publisher right and we we launched we finally launched on console and PC in October 2010, and man we were on the top ten charts for like six months straight. Like I'm gonna be honest, this is crazy, but our pre-order numbers leading up to launch, we were outselling Call of Duty. Skyrim was, came out like in the same we, month. We, I mean, were, we were competing with all. We of were these the games. number one PC game in America, like. At, for like a week straight. Dude, if you're number stayed. one for a day, you're good. Yeah, honestly. yeah. So it was, we, it was we, we hung in there with like AAA titles. Yeah, and we were a twenty dollar game, so there was a, a, a less of a barrier of entry for for 
you know people to, to experience you know our game we had a very ethical like way of monetizing our our extra downloadable content so if you owned the game you could download the updates and all of the new content for free for a couple of weeks before we would charge you so all you had to do is just show up you know uh, within a certain window and you'd get more content we kept the game alive we kept it as a live product and that's that was something else that we started experimenting with a little bit too so yeah it, it did really well and then um <clears throat> and then like yeah in 2012 um we sold a majority stake of the company to um some some big vc guys and um and is it yeah. like was there they just wanted to take it up to another level? I mean, what yeah, what, yeah. what, what they, did they plan on doing they, at they that point? They wanted it to take it like like the dream was to make it sort of like into some kind of empire and they hired in a bunch of big execs with big resumes and uh, not my fault. <laughs> uh, can we talk about it a little bit um, like the yeah, challenges sure. I, mean, I mean yeah i mean uh, yeah well, the major challenge is going from like this indie studio scale yeah startup culture to like now we're 125 people yeah the whole c-suite and bureaucracy and the culture changes yeah. And I won't ever do that again. <laughs> it's just not, not fun. I mean, so you let, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's yeah, interesting that's, to hear. That's, it's, yeah, going from like small, where everyone's small family, basically, where everyone knows each other, hangs out, you know. Of course, we have differences, but we're, we work it out to like 100 plus people and like uh, blah, 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 blah. I mean, so what we're getting at is like, this this big you know so you know when you when you scale and you're and you're used to such a small team managing such a small team and the creative decision making is kind of taken away taken away to, to some extent and you're given a prerogative to create a game that maybe you don't want to make or maybe your players aren't necessarily looking for these are some of the situations that we found ourselves in and for me it was strange because I'm in New York at the time I actually moved up to New York to be with my my now wife um, Irina and so I'm experiencing this paradigm shift within Trendy in a very different way uh, than basically everybody else at the studio is experiencing it um, and uh, you know there was you know obviously there was some some growing pains and, and learning to scale and I think that there was probably some some people put in positions that were compromising to them or didn't necessarily fit their like skill set or maybe they weren't necessarily passionate uh, about what they were doing and um, we had a big shakeup and you you know I'm sure you've seen the article Trendy was notorious for a good amount of time as the studio from hell there's a big expose written up about you know management and um, you know I was involved, Augie was involved, Jeremy was involved, like all of these core people who had created this experience and now were leadership, you know, in this studio that had scaled, um, were being picked apart and harassed by, you know, toxic media, people. toxic media people, getting random texts and, you know, just the, you know, there was a, there was a, I think there was a, a group of people who perhaps rightfully so, and, I, and it's hard for me to say because I, I wasn't actually physically there, but you know, they thought that they weren't being treated, you know, well. And 
I can't I can't speak to it because I don't know and there's probably some truth to that because I think knowing what I know about how how difficult it is to maintain you know control and and having your your baby your IP this game it's next door uh, <laughs> he's like what's that sound it's our boxing gym next door they boxing. hate me apparently oh <laughs> what are they doing at like they're, they're they're working out we're gonna go over there and ask them to keep it down um but long story short you know um you know we definitely hit a point in which something had to change and um, that was a point in the company that that uh, a lot of us look at as kind of a turning point culturally. Um, Augie was effectively, you know, slowly pushed out of management. Jeremy was kicked out. So, um, you know, we we had a situation where um, really the the stakeholders, the people who made this product from the beginning, weren't necessarily involved anymore. And then we we hired some. Batman, Batman to fix it, to come in, to swoop in and save the day. Um, and I think that um, I think that for them, they saw it as an opportunity for career growth. But I think that for a lot of these uh, these people who were who were now put in charge, it was uh, perhaps a little less focused on the altruistic, like for the good of the company, and and maybe. Something else I don't know, but long story short, again we we canceled we canceled what we were what we were working on. We we reshifted after this article, and we had a big PR nightmare that we had to solve. And slowly we started putting the pieces together and doing damage control. And over the next few years, you know, we we sort of started to change the reputation with our follow-up game called Dungeon Defenders Two. And um, you know, it was a free-to-play product, which means that. Uh, we, you were completely removed the barrier of entry, so anybody can just download the experience, you know, the game and play it. Um, you know, so it's more of a volume over. Um, um, it's more of a volume approach, basically, to, to acquiring users with uh, what we would call ethical monetization. Again, basically purchasing cosmetics and things like that. But the game, you know, Dungeon Defenders Two, over the course of the the next few years, it never really, it never really felt the same there was some magic missing and i think i think it was a direct result of the stakeholders who were part of that initial like secret sauce they just weren't around anymore and they weren't mm -hmm. able to contribute in the ways that they probably would have should you know should they had been involved in in the process for the sequel and so i look at it as perhaps a missed opportunity and and some poor management um, but I also saw that for a lot of us, um, it was a, a really good opportunity to grow professionally and to learn a lot. And I think, you know, Augie will talk a little bit about soon, a, a little bit about what happened in December. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I saw the whole experience as um, a way for me to just learn. And I'm, I'm going to still... I'm. You know, a lot of us need to sit down and, and still digest and, and like figure out what the, the what the takeaways are from the last few years at Trendy. But um, I, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say. I don't know. What do you think, Augie? I'm just amazed how much fun these guys 
It's the it's the reason we record this so early. Yet they still manage do, do they to do like record. Day? It's crazy how much they do this, and people you, you really boxing? don't boxing for everybody who's listening to the show right now. You really don't understand how loud it is until they're literally on the other side of the brick wall. Can we please go tell them that? I we're mean, recording? it's fine. I'm just like it doesn't bother me at all. I can't. I'm not even. I can't. <laughs> I mean, it bothers me because it's in the recording of our yeah. show, man, and it's just like, jeez. Yeah. I'm gonna have to start recording these at midnight when I know they're not there. <laughs> really, it's funny. Like just Josh like, is having this heart to heart, as you're just screaming idea. on his side. I I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, I my my gut reaction to all of this and to the last few years of this develop this strange development process where you owned something and then you didn't own it anymore and you didn't have that control and you weren't really considered a leader anymore and other people were put into positions because. Re, you know, reasons and money and, and, and whatever. And I look back on it and I think, well, I, I think I think that there has to be something to learn from that. And oh yeah, me, absolutely, it's, it's, huge learning experience. I'd say the last, yeah, few years, you know, after I left Trini, definitely for the team at Trini and um, myself has been like, what's, it was a learning experience. What's important in my life? What do I really mm-hmm. love? You know, and things like that. Um, so I'm gonna make a small announcement. <laughs> so like, the exec, the previous execs at Trend were all like, "Who's been, who's been like giving Augie information?" <laughs> I had a mole. It was this guy <laughs> revealed. <laughs> like Josh really would keep- <laughs> Like He'll like, text me like all like, now and then. Like, what's like going hey, on? do you do you know like that like this is happening? He was like, no, I'm on the board, but I don't know. Yeah, like it was, it was like I was on the board, but like information sharing was like zero. Like the execs, execs at the company weren't sharing information. Have you seen Silicon Valley? Yeah. So you could just watch that show our and, life. and get the entire yeah. like yeah. beat for beat. We've actually. lived every episode. I can you just pick one episode. I'm like, oh yeah, this situation was exactly oh, like gosh. this. <laughs> I can't every watch it. episode. It, it triggered me too much. Like, really? I had to stop out for the first season. <laughs> too too much. Too close to the I mean, heart. I really I really put a lot of like I don't know. I think I'm a little bit more like emotional than most people when it comes to like this shit. But like I I can't. Like I really love people, and I love the people that I worked with, and it breaks my heart that like I, I like one of one of my biggest regrets is that like more people that that I wish more people had stuck stuck around because these are the people that that we grew with and we figured it out together, right? And it just it breaks my heart that like for whatever reason you know they wanted to move on or whatever, and I th- I think together we could have built something even better, right? Um, so. That's that's the one thing that I that I probably I'll look back and say, man, I miss you know Anton, I miss mm. Jordan, and we lost some good people, Phil and all these guys. So. When when you guys sold the majority stake and you guys started to feel like this, like when was that moment when you were really like, oh shit, we made a mistake? Mm. Yeah, so, can you like point to it? It was definitely before the the article came out. I think. I mean, I gotta, I gotta I'll, imagine. Like, I'll tell you. I, I'm trying to like un- yeah, understand I'll, like what that feels like as an entrepreneur. Like, if, yeah. I mean, if 
did something like that. You know, you work on, you work so hard on something for so long, and then, you know, you're looking at this as something like, hey, this is a great, you know, it's a great like, opportunity. The, the We're about art, to go up a whole nother level, and then oh, it, it was shit, just, it I was messed when, up. It was when they 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 put in a new CEO for me, mm-hmm. like, um, yeah. The article came out, and I think over the next like few months, we did a good job trying to mend it back together. Yeah, I moved back down from New York because I thought it was important. Yeah, um, you know, um, some of the people that got hurt because of that article, I was able to mend that back together. And then they s- formed a, a sort of subsidiary within the company called Non Nom Gangs, and they were working on some fantastic um, stuff. Um, but then the. Uh, the VCs brought in a new exec, and I thought it was the right idea. Like, you know, I was a young CEO. What do I know? I don't even have an MBA. And they were like, "You need to find someone that went to like Harvard or, you know, some Ivy League school who's who will be a sort of like put everything old man Moses style, you know, mm-hmm. running the thing because we want this company to be like a thousand people and a billion dollars." I'm like, you know. You probably know best. Fine. Well, also when they when they say, "Hey, we're gonna get you the the former president of LucasArts, yes, and like the former like CTO or whatever of, of EA Tiburon and big, all of these like really big names, to, big to, names to Gainesville, and now you have a studio of a hundred employees that are gonna work under you know some of these big names, and that adds that makes it kind of real to you, right? But but also, it's like we didn't think about the cultural part to that, right? And like right. how important I think it was to retain the indie feel that we just lost. We like, lost that, yeah, yeah. They brought in these big names, big execs, and in the process, we lost our soul. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason a lot of friends left. I mean, th- I agree. The soul wasn't there anymore. Did they try to like take you guys from Gainesville? During that process, or was it? I don't think so. No. Not not. Daryl wanted to move the studio to like Orlando or West Coast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was talking about it. Um, but no, but it, it, no, it became. It went from like a soulful indie studio to a corporate corporation. Yeah, we had an HR right, so department how did, and everything. Yeah. So how did you get it? How did you get it back? I mean, oh, now now you've re, now okay. you rebranded. Now you rebranded your chromatic okay, games. Last year. Last year, October, Josh texted me like, the investors, the VCs aren't putting in more money in, and the executive team wants to acquire the company away and shelve the IP. Kind of. Sort of. Yeah, it was yeah. weird. It was a weird deal they were working out. They were working out some strange deal where a Merck studio, a studio that works on other people's projects, they don't work on their own stuff, uh, and, and by the way, like this is I, I, like I don't I'm not trying to badmouth anyone. It's just not what I'm in, interested in. I'm yeah. not I'm, I like to work on my own stuff. So this this whole thing kind of felt weird to me. But they wanted to do an asset transfer or something like that to to you know another studio and um, the they basically. wanted to give our IP away. The thing that we've been nurturing for seven eight years that we've been putting all of our heart and our soul into giving away, you know, talk, I'm talking about like giving away like the one thing that we still actually retained, I, I felt, 
Um, and that just felt so wrong to me. And I, I was just, I was like, Augie, <laughs> help. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it, um, so I immediately texted the board and the VCs and I'm like, hey, what's this thing I hear? I'm like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I got yeah. pu- I got pulled aside ten minutes later too. He, he already did. Oh gosh! I got um, I got berated by our uh, management for like trying to do what I thought was like the right thing. I don't oh know. man! That's so a I had you know had a, place to had a you know, yeah. phone call with um, management and they were like, oh yeah, you know, VCs aren't putting any more money in, so you know we we want to do what's best for the employees and we want to give them away. And they, they would all move to Orlando too, like, um, and shutter the, shutter the studio. And I was like, okay, can't have the IP back. <laughs> and like, yeah, they were like, yeah, yeah, we probably can work on something, you know? Can I at least have DD1 back? And like, yeah, we can probably do that. I'm like, sweet, sweet. All right, let me know. And like, a week goes by, nothing happens. No, 10 days go by. They get a call. I get a call from lawyers. <laughs> I get a call from lawyers. So they dramatic. were like, Do you want to buy the entire company back? I was like, Yes, let's do that. And then the, the second thing that came after that was, But you have to keep it a secret. I'm like, Oh. You're like, Great, I'm going on this podcast soon. <laughs> <laughs> And then two, two and a half weeks later, I walk into the office. No one knows. Like, you, you knew the night before. Yeah. <laughs> I texted you. You're on pain meds, So too. I'm like, I hurt my back. Uh, I'm sitting there. I, I live in Union Street Station, right above Mark's Prime. And Augie texts me. He's like, hey, come down. We're at Mark's Prime. He's with his Charlotte AI group, and you've, I don't know, he's got like eight companies, I don't know. Yeah, for everybody who's listening, <laughs> that's what Charlotte AI is, another company. Yeah, uh, so he's sitting there with oh, like got a, lot a, going a on. group of 10 people, I don't know, most of them. I'm high, basically on pain medication because my back is killing me, and I stumble in, and I'm like, what, what's going on? He's like, yeah, I bought the company. I'm like, okay, cool. And I walk back upstairs, I'm not even like, I don't understand what's, what's happening. Right. And you probably thought, man, he doesn't seem to be more excited like, about that. Yeah, I'd be a little more excited. <laughs> like, uh, and then I remember waking up going, oh shit, like something's going to go down. And so, yeah, they came in the next day. They did a. Oh, you were like, I bought the company back. I'm sure you oh, were no, I was, I was going nuts. Yeah. Like, that was. Yeah, if anyone's like closed major deals, it's a lot of. It's, it's very difficult. You have to be able an army of lawyers. Yeah. You have to check every box. And um, and typically these deals take six months to a year. To, we did in two weeks. It was the fastest like deal closing I've ever witnessed. Well, I don't think we had any time. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, what, this like time. launched or, like a new rejuvenation, you guys rebranded, decided to be, go to Chromatic it, Games. It was tough. So a lot of people didn't even know who Augie was at the studio. So there's- Dude, the, isn't that crazy to you? Yeah. Was it that like, all right, maybe not. Well, like, <laughs> so much was happening, like you, there was no time to feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just do. It was like, let's go. Do, yeah. do, 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 do. I love that. So he brought in some some friends, um, you know, some old friends from early trendy days to help kind of transition the team. 
had a little bit of atrophy, but it was really about saying, hey, what do we have right now? Who, who here is going to step up and help lead this? The idea was to, you know, to sort of elevate from, from within, right? We don't necessarily, you know, we're, we're long gone are the days where we're going to try to hire Superman to, to fix everything for us. Sure. We're going to empower the people that have been here, that have put the time and who have been really passionate. Um, I think one of the coolest stories is actually uh, our, our creative director right now, Colin Fisher, uh, I think they, they wrote an article about him in, in the Gainesville Sun or something yep. a couple, maybe like a month or two ago. Um, so, you know, we, we announced he's our creative director. His story is super cool. You know, he starts off as a fan of Dungeon Defenders, just playing the game. Hmm. Up, You know, tr- flies in from like Chicago for an internship that lasts three months. And, you know, just hustles, fills in gaps, works with marketing, works with this, works with community. Starts to get into design a little bit, and then all of a sudden, you know, we just say, hey, listen, you're you're impressive. Like that's the story of Chromatic that I want to, like, that's what's powerful is that you can be you can be anybody, and we'll figure out we'll figure out the right place for you, and and that and that's that's what I want. That's that's what I want in a, in a in a professional work environment. In, in in going back to this like indie feel again. Yeah. So the root of the indie feel, you hit it on some really big points. I would say, you know, people say, no, it's about like passion, blah, blah, passion. Well, but what does that mean from a production standpoint? What yeah. does that mean? What it means is if you if you have the hard work, you have the right ideas, have the right culture, you can go from zero to 100 miles an hour very fast. In a big company, that's very difficult. You have to be tenure. You have to be working in in the company for ten years, and then you can get to maybe like a junior exec, and then I mean ten more years later become like a director or something. In like a startup environment, like my job is to tear down all the barriers. If you're willing to go 100 miles an hour on the right track, I'm, I'm gonna give you a shot. I'm gonna give you a chance. We're we're gonna give because there's no other way. Right. It's sort of survival. So Colin's a great example of that. He went from intern to a director position in less than two years. And it was, you know, and seeing people like him thrive in, under that kind of environment, it's well, inspiring. The, the, yeah. We've had two challenges so far at Chromatic. One was turning this whole thing around, restructuring, getting people into the, into the right places. The second thing, immediately afterwards, actually, it wasn't even done yet, was... All right, we got to raise some money. You got to raise, raise some, some money. money. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys just launched the so Kickstarter. Colin, yeah. And stuff? So Colin, Colin led the the Kickstarter effort. It was I, I call it kind of like a, kind of a low hanging fruit. Some something that we could put together quickly. New IP, rejuvenate our fans, rejuvenate our studio. Work with some new tech that we haven't been able to work with because we've been making the same game for five years. Anytime you're working on anything for you know five six years, it's it's like it's too much, right? So it was an opportunity. Maybe avoid deleting s- people's characters this time. <laughs> Hopefully, <yeah. laughs> I think we have some better systems in place, uh, some better processes in place. But uh, yeah, the Kickstarter that was a fun experience. That was, a, that was so. A you guys were going for experience. a half million. It was. We went for a quarter million. Quarter we, million. We ended up doing. Four hundred sixty-four thousand. Okay, nearly yeah. half million. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that that was. I mean that, that, that was amazing. I, so. I mean, is that 
really from okay we needed this money from a funding i mean oh, it yeah, sounds yeah. like more for like a validation too right because yeah, like yeah, all, it's, it's all the old above. yeah so all the old fans oh, and everything above. were like so, yes let's do this this is a game Excited. that we've been asking for for six years all of our oh, advocates cool. start coming forward on facebook and like you know, supporting us and sharing, and I think we ended up with uh, over eleven thousand backers. 12, over twelve thousand backers. 12, That's backers. awesome. We so. had a, like a whole list of people that donate over a thousand dollars. We have wow. one guy donate five grand. He's wow. gonna come and have lunch with us. Yeah, <laughs> really? That's so yeah. cool. Awesome. Yeah. So it was a really interesting experience, and that was kind of a learning experience for for a lot of us too. We we I mean we got it. One of the things that I think we were really good at at Trendy early days was rapid iteration and 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 working on something and, and getting a prototype and a vertical slice done quickly and being able to feel what the game is gonna feel like. What's the spirit of this game? That's really important in game development. So we we did that in like a month. We 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 said, okay, here's our here's the new game. Here's you know, and, and we we took some beautiful, you know, it's I mean it's next gen quality stuff. You know, these are we have really I I think it's world class talent, you know, here in Gainesville. And, and so when will you put this out? Like when will the game be finished? Like how long does that process Ooh, I'm take? I'm gonna let him answer. Oh, that. Um, uh, as soon as possible. <laughs> as soon as possible. We, I mean, we're shooting for October. Um, the game's done when it's done, and you know, I'm gonna say one thing about Dungeon Defenders One. You know, we were done with that game a year before we released it. But I'm not convinced that that game would have been has, as good had we released it then. No, yeah, it, it, the polish would because took, we spent a lot of time afterwards really yeah polishing. That. Mm. Um, so yeah. there's an argument to be made that perhaps, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 as soon as possible. Soon as possible. Yeah. What is that aha? <laughs> I mean, do you do you just like keep tinkering on it forever? Do you get to a moment where you're kind like. Of. Okay, we there were there was there were a few periods there, and I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we like put rocket launchers on this thing? And then I would just like do it, you know what I mean? Um, so there was a lot of that, or like, hey, why don't we add a secret room for people who beat the game, and put, hey, we'll put all the developers' pictures in there, and it'll be like a fun little thing, and we can like, you know, so just silly things like that. But you know, obviously, I'm also talking about you know important balance changes and making the game progression feel good, and adjusting the art and making the experience more polished and feel better. That's a cool story, man. I'm sure there's like so many more details. Oh we God. could probably talk we, right about that. Or we could go into all your companies because <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you do a lot, I know. Um, but, but this has been fun, guys. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. I, the one thing, you know, for everybody who's listening, especially our Gainesville entrepreneurs, I mean, these are two people who are heavily invested into the startup culture here. I mean, mm-hmm. you sit on the board for Startup GMV. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just got finished doing that Josh Greenberg project, mm-hmm. which I've gotten nothing but compliments from everybody on, which makes me feel so good. Yeah. <laughs> we worked so hard on that video. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was, but it was cool to, as a startup, to be part of that process mm-hmm. and and to make sure that you know Josh's legacy lives and on. He was one of the people that we we looked up to as a mentor oh, yeah. in early trendy Absolutely. days. You yeah, know, I mean, because you guys were right him. around that same time. I mean, yeah, we're. Basically on the same block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's what's so cool. We would go to we're... events and we'd, we'd yeah, all it, it was and like out in the same. You know, so it was we were like the two cool companies yeah. in town at, the, at that time. Yeah. I felt like two tech companies in town. Yeah, it's and different now. The landscape's very different, and I think a lot of it, you know, due to his momentum and legacy. So. And Augie's still doing, uh, you know, still hosting Startup Hour all the time, mm-hmm. and seeing seeing you out there. I mean, I just I. 
that's what I love. You know, like, I mean, I started my business in 2004, but obviously it's retail, it's a little bit different, right? But, and we, we started out way, way in the North Industrial Park. I mean, I had to figure out so much on my own, you know, and then now seeing this evolution and the startup culture that has, that has really built here in Gainesville and just the support, um, just the, I don't know, it's, it's just a cool environment to be a part of. And so I appreciate everything that you guys yeah. do to invest into, into that startup culture. Um, I just want it to continue to radiate here in Gainesville forever because it's just, it's super special. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. I feel like, I feel like it's hard to do anything great without like other smart people and surrounding yourself with with like-minded talented smart people that's the way that's the way to do great work and uh, like I wouldn't be passionate about entrepreneurship or Gainesville in the same way without you know Augie and and I know that a lot of people feel the same way or they have you know a mentor out there who's kind of pushing them in a similar direction it's rewarding it's frustrating there's a lot of ups and downs, but like you, if you can do this, honestly, if you can survive, doesn't mean succeed, but if you survive, um, I think you'll learn a lot about yourself um, and you'll grow as a person and in your relationships, you know, outside of the work life. So um, I'm very grateful to you, Augie, and to, you know, all, of, all of the people that, that I've worked with at Trendy over the years uh, here and there and gone and and past, um, and uh, I, uh, I hope that we can continue moving the momentum forward. Um, JoshGreenbergDay.com. We have a couple of scholarships. If you guys uh, want to check it out, watch uh, "Repaint the Walls." Uh, amazing, beautiful video uh, that they uh, that they created um, in memory of Josh. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. Cool. Anything else for our community out there, guys? Last pieces of advice, anything that you could, anything coming up, anything? I mean, we're, this will go out on May 27th, we said? Yeah. Anything right around the corner? Well, I, I think it's an exciting time to be in Gainesville. Yeah. I, I think what we're witnessing here in 2019 is sort of the second renaissance mm -hmm. of tech. I think the first renaissance was early Groove Shark early trendy back yeah. in 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing now in 2019 is sort of a second emergence mm -hmm. with with Fracture destroying things, yeah, with, crazy with Feather things. destroying things, hopefully Chromatic will mm -hmm. destroy things. <laughs> I mean, there's so many like companies getting momentum. Yeah. And it's all about momentum. There's so many companies having so much momentum in 2019. It's really exciting to be in, in this area and field figure out how to stay in Gainesville that's what yeah I, that's what I want to say yeah. is like there's a lot of opportunities and maybe we're not doing the best job right now in like exposing or or showing those opportunities or getting those opportunities in front of people who are trying uh, and I would say like figure it out Gainesville's a great ecosystem full of a lot of really smart world-class you know talent and uh, it's definitely doable here uh, so. Yeah, especially I would say also um, downtown Gainesville downtown. because there's there's something to do with density mm -hmm. and density of companies, and what helps is having an ecosystem of, of densely populated smart companies close to each other, and you don't see that anywhere else. Yeah, 
in downtown Gainesville. This question has yeah. come up a few times on the last on the last couple podcasts, but like, what is it that Gainesville needs to really fulfill its potential? I have my I have a very specific answer to that, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, well, I mean, okay, this that's multifaceted. Um, I mean, that's, from from that's an what obvious I do. standpoint, um, um, uh, a d- dense urban downtown. Okay. Um, we need more better office space downtown. That's where we keep companies downtown Gainesville. Um, that's one facet. From a monetary standpoint, um, we need to have a lot of traction f- with angels that identify Gainesville as a hotbed for tech. And which is starting to happen, like um, like this week, an, an angel from San Fran is flying in, and he's actively looking for companies to invest in. It's, it, it's him and a bunch of IPO'd square people. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're scouting. Um, um, yeah, and then the culture. The culture, like, like how do you, we portray Gainesville? You know, I love to see Gainesville as being a hip, cool, undervalued, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. hotbed of talent. Um, so yeah, those three things. Cool. Sometimes it's tough to get caught in the crosshairs, right? Like, there's this idea that like, you want to have this densely populated uh, downtown Gainesville area, invest into it, new companies, all that kind of stuff. And then you, you talk about marketing Gainesville to people. And a lot of people would also say that Gainesville's starting to lose its charm because mm-hmm. they're getting overrun by these big <laughs> complexes and a lot of things that used to make Gainesville unique is going away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you no, I mean, balance that? Well, how do you they're, feel well, they're talking about like Butler Plaza. Well, right, but like, the, like the Swamp Restaurant is yeah, something that that's the last thing about, I yeah, want to like, see. I want to see downtown become this amazing hotbed of ideas. And, you know, I'm not saying let's knock down the Hippodrome and put like a 50 story building, nothing like that. Right. right. In fact, like, let's preserve the unique uniqueness that is downtown Gainesville. Let's take derelict <laughs> warehouses and mm-hmm. turn them into amazing studios mm-hmm. and like attract that cool, hip, unique culture that's that that that's required to to do all these amazing tech companies. Um, but a lot of people find it easier. A lot of developers find it easier to just go west yeah. and yeah. knock down a bunch of pine yeah. trees build. Yeah. And, and build Butler Plaza, which I'm, I'm like, that's not how you do it. <laughs> I think what you guys are talking about is, I, I've been using the term cultural infrastructure, but I think somebody just coined, or I, I guess there's a movement towards the term social infrastructure. And that's something that I've been talking about for years in Gainesville that could use a little bit of improvement because when we look at other model cities that Gainesville likes to compare itself to, the Asheville's and the Boulders and the things like that, they all have a very strong social infrastructure. They all have gathering spaces where like-minded you know, young professionals can, can connect in and gather in and spend time together in, and it's all walkable and it's very, you know, very easy and simple. So maybe that's, that's one piece. And I don't think that we right now do a very good job downtown specifically with um, with supporting small small businesses that create that character and that mm. social infrastructure, rent is is really high. It's a lot of historic old buildings that really haven't had a lot of money put into them. Um, you know, maybe the city could do you know more to support. But but like you said, uh, I f- I feel like um, there is a competing like there's like a friction in between like young professionals and perhaps. Um, I don't know what, you know, like this other group that, because I, I don't think that these two ideas are mutually exclusive so where, where you can't, 
breathe new life into into a space with but also not you know develop that space uh, i'm a big proponent of building up i think that's a i think that's healthy and especially if we're looking at a a, a space in an area like a downtown urban core where we want to add density we want to have people living there and working there and you know live work play the the, the whole gainesville motto i think that's all very important um but I actually think the more that I have looked into the scene and the commercial real estate and all this, I think a lot of it's really dictated by developers, um, to your point. And uh, you know, if we want if cool, unique concepts like a brewery or something like that, uh, it really needs to start with affordability and the city kind of coming in and saying, "Hey, let's make this, let's make power district and do it the right way." And and allow people from Gainesville to 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 shape that right. So that's kind of what I what I think is really missing when when we've tried to recruit people here to Gainesville. It's been a challenge because there's not a lot to do in Gainesville as a young professional, somebody who's not in college and they don't want that that like uh, college midtown life, right? Maybe they're settling down or maybe they're. You know, whatever it is, there's like that middle gap between like college and starting a family. And I would love to see downtown uh, grow more, more in that direction to to help this demographic feel more comfortable and more at home. So that's that's what I feel about. Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else, Mike? No, I mean, I think that nails it. Like I always, I don't know, I always struggle seeing like the things that I grew up when I moved to Gainesville, like the the linchpin things a lot of them restaurants burrito brothers the swamp i don't probably never been to the swamp but three times but i don't want to see it go away you know it's, it's like part, it's part of gainesville yeah. um, and so it's tough to see like all these things like the, the alligator building the original one all this stuff gets leveled for these complexes and i would love to see them do exactly what you said is take these take these buildings like that one specifically instead of leveling it breathe new life into it you know mm-hmm. keep that charm there but i think it's interesting because i do feel like sometimes the 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 tech side of things wants to compete or feels like it's competing against that but mm-hmm. But you made a lot of good points. It's good. Cool. Awesome. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Awesome. Appreciate it. Hey, my man. Happy birthday. It's his birthday today. (laughs) Today? Yeah, today. Today's April 23rd. Not not May 27th, everybody, (laughs) but April 23rd when we're recording this. It's Java's birthday. Hey, uh, everybody who's listening, do me a favor. Like, Go to iTunes, Facebook, wherever you listen to the podcast and leave us a review. Tell us how we're doing. Just, uh, you know, tell us where we could get get better, make things, you know, improve. Any good feedback or feel free to hit me up uh, on Instagram, DM at Colin Austin. Um, and just, you know, I, I want to I know where you guys would like to see the show go in year two. We are now in episode, what, what episode is this, 55? Episode 55. Yeah. We are well, now I feel like we are well into year two. Thank you. <laughs> so, you guys, thank you so much for the support. Thank you for listening. This is the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. Whoa. Why didn't you do it? I, I was just, I just wanted to hear you. I was looking whoa. at you I and know. I was like, <laughs> And you just kind of... Whoa. We could do it again. (laughs) We could all do it if you want. Make you go, whoa. There you go. (laughs) See you later. Bye.